You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. The king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley is a cultural icon, instantly recognizable to generations of music fans. His former home, Graceland, was declared a National Historic Monument, hosting half a million people every year. And more than 45 years after his death, Elvis earns tens of millions of dollars a year. A recent biopic has put his name and legacy back in the mainstream. Unfortunately, so has the death of his only child, Lisa Marie Presley, at the age of 54. Her mother, Priscilla Presley, spoke at her daughter's funeral at Graceland. Our heart is broken, Lisa. We all love you. Now Priscilla Presley is challenging the validity of her daughter's will, specifically a 2016 amendment to the document that ousted Priscilla and a former business manager, Barry Siegel, as co-trustees, replacing them with Lisa Marie's eldest daughter, Riley Keough, and her late son, Benjamin Keough. Priscilla claims there are several problems with the amendment, including a mismatched signature. Joining me is trust and estates attorney Sarah Wentz, a partner at Fox Rothschild. Sarah, Priscilla Presley said she found this amendment, which is dated in March of 2016, after her daughter's death. Is it unusual that after all these years, no one has talked about this and all of a sudden she finds this? It is. And I think that it probably indicates that there was a decision not to make it effective because if she really did sign it, and I think there's a lot of questions about whether it was her signature and whether the document that was prepared was signed because there's not there's no provisions on the signature pages. But if he, she really did sign it, the way that her trust was created that was fully amended and restated in 2010, it said that delivery to the trustees was required to make a change effective. So it indicates you know, that she never delivered it. And she clearly knew that her mom and Barry Siegel were serving as the trustees. So I think the court would look at it and say, well, she must have known or decided against it, and which is why she didn't deliver it. I think it's hard to argue that she intended it to be effective, but then held on to it all these years. There are several things that Priscilla Presley alleges were problematic with this amendment. Just tell us what they are. Yeah, I think the first thing is really what I just explained, that if you 
create a trust document and you state that there's a specific way in which it must be amended, then that is the exact and only way that the trust can be amended. And there's a lot of ways that a trust can be amended if you don't have that language in there. But the primary question is, if it says that it has to be amended in a particular way, which includes effective delivery to the existing trustees of the change, then a court will generally just say it's not effective, no matter if she signed it, if she intended it to be the case, if she didn't effectively deliver it to the trustees, then she didn't do what she herself wrote in the trust document was required. So that's the first issue. If the court just stops there and says it's not effective, they probably won't go any further to look at the other issues. But I think the second issue is there's a presumption that if you don't have any witnesses and any notary and there's a signature on a page that has no content of the rest of the document, that it's possible there was some sort of fraud involved. I mean, it's not unusual that their signature page maybe doesn't have substantive language on it, but to also have it not witnessed and not notarized, plus to have that separate signature page with nothing on it, I think that creates a problem for them. You know, maybe if there was no question about this trust, that could possibly pass because it's not required to have witnesses and a notary on a trust amendment unless the trust required it to. It's just that it's really suspect given the situation. It does seem unusual that Lisa Marie was battling with Barry Siegel, who is listed as a co-trustee, since 2018. And so it seems logical that she wouldn't want him to be a co-trustee. Right. And somewhere in the documents indicated that he was going to be stepping down as trustee. So maybe that was an agreement that they had reached. But you're right. If, if you're battling with somebody, and remember, this is a revocable trust. So this is a trust that she could have 100% changed at any time, as long as she did it in the right way. It's unusual that he would have continued to serve during those years when they were having that dispute. You know, I don't really know the background on that, but that is highly unusual. Lisa Marie is survived by three daughters, Riley Keough, who's 33, and twin girls who are 14. So why does Priscilla's petition say that Riley would be substituted for Singer as a trustee? It is in the petition on page 6 where it says that since Riley's over the age of 30, she could act as a co-trustee on her sub-trust upon delivering a written instrument to the trustee consenting that she act. So it sounds like the trust creates a share for each of the children, and then over their particular sub-trust, they can become added as a co-trustee at age 30, which is somewhat normal if you have minor children or younger children. There's been no comment from Riley about her grandmother's challenge to the will, but just suppose that Riley doesn't want to serve as co-trustee. What kind of problems would that cause? I don't think she's going to have much of a choice, you know, based on this document. And, you know, from a trust lawyer's perspective, Priscilla Presley has done a pretty amazing job of revising the Elvis Presley estate. You know, there's a lot of case law and a lot of things that happened with that estate that, you know, it was essentially broke at one time. And, you know, so she's got a lot of experience. So I think having a co-trustee that can at least educate the new trustee who hasn't historically been involved in the business dealings is a really important thing to have in the transition along the way. Because if Riley were to just take over, 
and doesn't have the business experience and the knowledge of what is required to keep the museums and Graceland and all of those things afloat, the estate could be, you know, dwindled down back to nothing. And I think with these minor beneficiaries, the other daughters that are also beneficiaries, I, I think that a court would be concerned putting somebody who's young and doesn't have any business experience to take this over when there's other people that, you know, have a stake in this. I'm just curious as to whether or not there would be any way for her to challenge her grandmother being trustee. Not that there's any indication she intends to do that. I think right now, the only way that she could really argue that Priscilla was not an appropriate trustee is if she had some sort of proof or evidence that she couldn't be fair and impartial to her, that she wouldn't be acting in her best interest. You know, maybe if there was a strained relationship and she had done things in the past that would evidence that she couldn't be neutral. Because as a trustee, there's a fiduciary duty to that beneficiary. And if she could not be impartial and do her duty to that beneficiary, then that is when Riley could say, hey, this isn't the right trustee. Here's the examples that I have showing that she's breached her fiduciary duty to me. But short of breaching fiduciary duty, it's really hard to remove a trustee that's been put in the document, not just after Lisa Marie passed away, but it's highly unusual in the first place to put somebody in as a trustee over your revocable trust during your lifetime. Now, that would indicate that she felt like she needed the involvement and help of Lisa Marie back in 2010 when she added her on this document. And Lisa Marie could have just served as her sole trustee until her death, which would be more typical, and then had mom step in. And in that case, Riley could say, you know, grandma's not qualified to do it and, you know, make other arguments. But in this case, she's been acting and hadn't been removed up until Lisa's death. So I think it would be very difficult for her to remove her. Lisa Marie sold off 85% of Elvis Presley Enterprises' assets for about $100 million in 2004. Do we know what's actually in the trust besides 15% of that company? I don't think we know that. So because it's a revocable trust and Lisa Marie could assign her assets to that trust during her lifetime, there's no requirement that a probate happen with those assets. So the only thing we really have is what ends up in a court dispute. So you know there are certain provisions that are quoted in the petition, but I don't believe at least the petition I received did not have a copy of the trust attached to it, okay. nor did it have an indication of exactly all the assets that are in, within it. Because apparently there's some kind of dynamic going on because Joel Weinchanker, who's the managing partner of the Elvis Presley Enterprises, has said that, you know, it was clear that Lisa Marie wanted her two children at the time, her son has died since then, to be the co-trustees. Now, Priscilla Presley alludes to an individual that bought their way into the family enterprise that is trying to speak on behalf of our family. So do you think that's where the dispute is arising from since we haven't heard from Lisa Marie's children? You know, I, I have heard that various things about, um, you know, people within that enterprise indicating that Lisa Marie had said that, but and perhaps her children haven't come forward, but Priscilla is just trying to cut this off. It, you know, and maybe what's happened is 
Priscilla has been making decisions and getting pushback from them saying, you know, we think someone else is going to be the trustee and you're going to be removed. And she just wants to clear that up. So that, that's possible that it's come from their side. It's um, a little unusual that they would choose to speak on this issue because, you know, the courts will say people have an opportunity to put down their wishes in an estate planning document. And when there's rumors of other people saying, well, they wanted this and they wanted that, it's like, we, we have an opportunity to do that. And that's why we draft the trust. And I just think that the fact that her mother was acting as trustee up until the day that she died, and she was well aware of that, and she hadn't delivered any documents to her saying, I want you to to be removed when I pass away. I think that really indicates that maybe she thought the kids were about ready to take over, but not ready enough to actually remove her mom. So I just don't think that a court is going to do that. Will a court look just at the document itself and what Priscilla Presley alludes to, or will the court go beyond that and try to divine the intentions of Lisa Marie Presley? It's unlikely that they look at the intentions, unless there's an allegation that there was delivery of this document and it just wasn't acknowledged. Or, you know, if somebody can prove that there was an email sent or, you know, some lawyer says, you know, I sent it to them, I delivered it to them, we had a conversation about it, and then there was a fight about them stepping down and it just never happened. Or, you know, if, if something like that comes out in court testimony, that she really did try to remove them and, you know, they just said no, then I think there could be a question about what was her real intent and they could take testimony from witnesses on that issue. But I really think there's going to have to be some indication that she did effectively deliver this because otherwise the court is, you know, the the law says that if you state in your trust document how it has to be amended, then it has to be done in that way or it's just not effective. So they don't even get there unless somebody can show that she really did deliver it. But no, that's possible. All we have is their word saying that it was never delivered. But also there's this issue that at least in the petition, they indicate that the original had not been located. And that's another hurdle that someone would need to prove is that there is an original out there and that Lisa Marie didn't intentionally destroy it because she could have signed a document, decided, I really don't want to remove them, and shredded it. And then somebody finds a copy of it and tries to use it after the fact. So, you know, that's going to be an issue. If they if they get that far, that's going to be an issue they're going to have to address. It's why and where is the original of this and who, who drafted it. How long will it take, do you think, for a court to resolve this? It really depends if the court decides it on the primary issue of effective delivery. If they don't decide it on that issue, they could schedule it on for evidentiary hearings to talk to more witnesses and a little more discovery. But if they do decide it on the primary issue, which is my inclination from at least what I've read in the petition, then they would probably decide it at the court hearing. Over and over again, you know, you have these high profile individuals and they haven't tied up all the loose ends of, you know, what might happen after they die. And it seems so unusual when they're surrounded by business advisors and lawyers. I mean, these questions often arise with big celebrities. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. I work with a lot of actors, musicians, NFL athletes, you know, people who have such busy lives that 
this is kind of the last thing they want to deal with. And it tends to be pushed down the line of, you know, and, and, and people also feel like they're, they're going to live forever. But, you know, I was just having a conversation with a musician last week and, um, you know, somebody who is a little younger and they're like, why, why are you asking all these questions about when I die? And, you know, they just, it's like, it's just, it's such, it's so unpalatable for them to think about. And, um, you know, one of the things that I pointed out is, listen, you have creative works. If you care about the works that you've built during your lifetime, then we really need to put a plan together of how they're going to get managed to make sure that your creative intent is followed through by whoever you put in charge. And, you know, I think talking to him about that made him a little more interested in actually trying to, um, you know, put a plan together because it wasn't focused as much on, I'm going to be, I'm going to die. It was more of, if something happens to me, you know, what does this look like? And I think that, especially with Lisa Marie and everything that's happened with the Elvis estate, there's so many questions there about, um, you know, what things should they get involved in? What type of advertising should they let the creative, you know, name and likeness and image be involved in? That, um, you know, it's somewhat surprising to me that she wouldn't have spent a little more time on that because, that issue has been so hotly contested with um, a lot of celebrities' estates. Yeah, I, so I, I agree with you, but I would say it's not uncommon, unfortunately. Apparently, though, what I've been reading is she may actually have creditors and owe the IRS money, so that's something that the estate will have to deal with, right? That's right. And, um, you know, whether or not they could actually seize assets if they're in an entity, you know, will be a question that gets looked at but generally the first thing that happens when somebody's administering an estate and when somebody passes away is they have to pay any lawful creditors and you know deal with those issues and any estate tax owed to the IRS within nine months of somebody passing away so that needs to be handled off the top so if there aren't other assets to pay those creditors then it's the case where sometimes you have to loan against the assets that are in the trust. And there are some companies out there that will do that, or you would need to sell assets off um, in order to create the cash to pay the debt. Somebody has to take care of that. And I think that also is something that is a ton of work. And for somebody to handle that, who's never done it before without the help of managers and people who, you know, understand how all of this works, I think it would be a pretty big undertaking for her daughter to step into. Because I saw these articles that said, oh, it's a money grab. Or does it depend on the, the trust, how much the trustee makes? Um, it does depend on the trust. There can be um, a provision in the trust that actually dictates how much the trustee is paid. Um, but California has a statutory amount that individual who's being the executor of an estate or trustee can be charged and it's a sliding scale. So it's 4% of the first 100,000, 3% of the next 100, and it's calculated based on the total value of the estate. So it's hard to say exactly what it is, but again, somebody can put into a trust document different provisions if they choose to for the work that's being done by that role. And it sometimes is a money grab for people. You know, I, I would be curious as to whether her mom had been charging for that role as trustee in the past because if she had, the fees would probably be along the same lines and the court would probably be inclined to keep them as to what they were being paid during her lifetime because that might indicate that was, you know, the arrangement that they wanted. 
so she may not have been charging at all, and she may not charge in the future. It's not uncommon for family members who are serving as trustee to, to not charge for them. Thanks so much for being on the show, Sarah. That's Trust and Estates Attorney Sarah Wentz, a partner at Fox Rothschild. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.